Welcome back to the Wasatch Brothers Real Estate Podcast. Brothers Real Estate Podcast. We have another great guest. His name is Adam, Adam Stevens, not to be confused with Stephen Adams, who plays for New Orleans Pelicans, because I um, will probably mess that up a couple times during this podcast. But he is very um, experienced and has a lot of accomplishments. A little bit about him, he graduated from Weber State in Texel. He bought his first home with his wife at age 22, which became his first rental property. He got his contractor's license in 2018 and started his own bath and kitchen remodeling, which he ran for 10 years. He flipped eight houses. He purchased his sixth property with cash. um, And he just realized in 2020 the goal of a million dollars net worth. And I thought one of your coolest ones is you took your, your entire family to Costa Rica for three months in 2018, which, I mean, to go on a, a trip by yourself for three months is quite a feat. And then to take your, your whole family, that's definitely a goal uh, I have on my list. <laughs> so Adam, welcome to the podcast. How you doing? Doing great. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for coming. So yeah, you have, when I read your list of um, what you've done. I was super excited to talk to you because um, we're in the real estate world and you've just done a, you've done a lot of cool stuff and you've done a lot of, you've had a lot of accomplishments. So um, yeah, so it's exciting. So you guys bought your first, now one of our things we were going to ask you is when you purchased your first door, I guess it was your first house. When, go past that, when did you buy your next house? So you and your wife bought your first one at 21-ish. What was yeah. after that? Yeah, uh, that I was hoping you'd ask that just because the first house was just like, we got married and we're buying a house. So it really wasn't anything super special. Um, I would throw in that she had saved a bunch of money, which was a huge leg up for us. She'd worked really hard and like tucked all that money away, like really, really frugal. So we had very smart. Oh man, so smart. Good job. <laughs> yeah, all, all the way through, man. We we talk about all the little things she's done that nobody knows that have got us to where we're at, you know. Um, but really, it, it kind of like opened up the door from that first property because we bought our second, which we moved into. So now we had two properties, one rental, and then the as a how market, far apart were those purchases? Um, gosh, only like a year and a half, like really short. Okay, we only we only lived in that first house wow. for a while. And then we were able to refinance that first house and pull the cash out. And I had a really awesome real estate agent who was a men- also a mentor and an investor. And so he opened my, I didn't know of any of this and he's kind of shows me the way. And anyways, I found uh, my second rental. It was a duplex. I found it on, I think a classified website. I think it was a website back then. And uh <laughs> and I went and I, I called the guy and it was like a bird dog, some guy who had found a deal, kind of like a wholesaler, but like old school, they call them bird dogs. He'd find a deal and like put it on the, the classified and then list kind of like list it. And he made like a thousand bucks a call and <laughs> I, I, wow. putting 20% down doing conventional financing on that one. Okay. My broker still uses that term bird dog. Sweet. So uh, that's people, funny. People can still do it. 
Yeah. You're only the second person I've heard use it. I, <laughs> I've heard him use it and I thought, kind of thought it was his own slang, but I guess yeah. it was a term that maybe was common. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's great. So is that kind of what led you, what were you doing for work at the time? Cause you, were you planning on getting into real estate or was it, you bought this house and your agent helped you and all of a sudden you're like, Hey, I need to go down a different path or what kind of happened? Yeah. So going to college, like being in the tech sales industry, it's kind of like an entrepreneur industry. So I just started to expand my ideas. Um, I was working for my dad's company. He was a remodeler as well. So I was doing carpentry for him and really planned on running the family business. That was like my long-term plan. And then came across this mentor. His name is Val Dorius. Um, Awesome, awesome mentor. And he just kind of started opening my eyes to rentals. My dad had rentals, but it wasn't like a big deal. He had like two rentals. One of them was the biggest pain in the world. He hated it. The other (laughs) one was like our original family home. So it was just kind of like, it was never like a big thing we talked about. It wasn't like a big money maker. It was just kind of like, oh yeah, dad has a couple rentals. But then my friend Val, you know, he he was probably 25 or 30 at the time. And it was like, he had so many properties. And I was like, how is this possible? Like, how do you have more than one house? <laughs> <laughs> That's really yeah, cool. I, me, me and my wife bought our first home. It was like a 70 year old home. And then we were thinking the same idea along of what you did of keeping that as a rental, but we weren't able to uh, basically get approved for our loan for this new home. So we ended up selling it. We had a bunch of equity in it, but I still wish I would have uh, kept it as a rental. How, how did you guys do that? Uh, Especially at such a young age, you were what, like 23? Yeah, 23, uh, probably 23 at that time. Uh, I would say the number one thing is we lived like super frugally. We, we saved our money. I remember when I was probably 22, 23, I got my, um, tax return. It was like $5,000. And I was like, I have $5,000. Like what in the world do I do with $5,000? And I'm, I'm not super, at the time I wasn't super great with money. So I knew if I kept it, it'd be gone. So I actually just put it on the principal of the house. Cause I didn't know where else, what else to do with it. I was, like, yeah, yeah. I was like, I don't want this in my bank account. I'll just put it on the house. Um, and I think it was just a different time. Like the, the qualifications were a little bit looser back then, but not to discount our efforts as well. We worked super hard. My wife was working. I was working. We saved a ton of money. We didn't spend a lot of money. And so when it was time to qualify, I remember we were looking at two houses. One was 146 and one was 148. And we just couldn't qualify for the 148. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> so like things were tight, you know, we were like maxing out what we could do. And I, I'm glad I didn't get the 148 house because I don't think it was as good of a house. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that's funny. That's really cool. So were you like, um, were you, were you nervous doing that? Like kind of stretching yourself thin? Was there fear and you just pushed past it or did you not think about that? Uh, yeah, I always remember feeling like, can we afford the mortgage? Right. And, and we always could, and we always had a little bit of money in savings. We, we paid cash for it. We kind of followed the Dave Ramsey approach at the beginning of our marriage. We were really good at staying out of debt. But there was always the fear. I remember trying to buy our third house and the fear was not so much about the finances was like, my wife did not want to move again. She was just like, this was so hard. I do not want to move. And we were going to move into like a junkier house, 
you know, the third <laughs> house was going to be like a junkier house. She was just like, no, this is horrible. And it was on a main road. And so there was a lot of fear, but it was, you know, a mix of like financial fear, social fear, um, status, right? I've, I've had a lot of barriers yeah. when it comes to like what, how people view me, you know, like, oh, he's 23, he has three houses. Like, what do people think about that? How are they going to treat me, you know? Yeah. How, how did That's, you deal with that? Because I think a lot of people struggle with that, the status of how people see them either too successful at a certain age or not successful enough. So uh, what what was your way of getting through that? Or <laughs> do you still struggle with it today? Because oh I don't know if anybody totally gets through it, but I think there's better ways to handle it. Sure, man. That's I no joke. I could talk the whole podcast about that because I've I've like struggled with it. I've worked through it. So I'll give you a couple of experiences that I had. Number one, rentals were nice because nobody knew you had them, right? Like unless you're talking about them, like no one knows you have it. But if you have like a big fancy house, everybody knows you have it. So we yeah. always lived in just like this little tiny house with old cars and stuff. So nobody really knows much you're about like we're our. Poor. Yeah, <laughs> our, our kids think we're poor. We kind of feel poor, you know what I mean? And that's just like how we prefer to do it. And so I had a lot of fears of moving into a bigger house, which we honestly never did. We still live in a medium-sized house um, in an old neighborhood. So Costa Rica, and I don't want to jump forward too fast, but I'll just give you a little like tidbit. Yeah, After going to Costa Rica, I realized that nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares yeah. like <laughs> nobody cares that you went to Costa Rica nobody cares that you have 10 rentals and if they do they're not going to say it to your face they're going to talk about it behind your back so you're never going to know so just stop caring you know stop yeah. worrying about what other people think about you there's a really great quote I wish I could pull it up but it's it, it's really popular like in the self-help industry it's basically like your your living under your abilities does not benefit anybody but your, your willingness to shine and succeed gives other people the freedom to do so. I quoted it horribly, but that was like a real game changer for me. I was just like, I'm sick of living under a rock. Like, this is so dumb. I'm inspired by people who are successful and who share their stories. So why wouldn't I just like be the person I want to be and be good and kind and humble and all those things, but stop worrying about what other people think about it. Dude, yeah. That's really yeah. good. I get inspired by people that's really that is a really good thing to try to like internalize because without thinking about it like people that have done a lot people like you you've accomplished way more than I have and like that inspires me that like hearing all these things I'm like man I want to do these things and so um that's a really good thing if people could just somehow internalize that like you have yeah and it on and that's what I was gonna say I could talk all day about it because this wasn't just like oh I felt like this suddenly no, this happened like three years ago when I was 35. It wasn't back when I was 25, right? It took me a long <laughs> yeah. time to like, to be honest, I didn't really even know that it existed until we tried to move. We were going to build a big, nice house. And I was like a wreck. Like I was a total wreck. And we backed out like we didn't do it. And then it really? wasn't for like, yeah, it wasn't for like four more years. For what, what reasons were you a wreck? Just the status of it or the financial oh, part? What? I was worried about everything. I was worried about everything. I was worried about the money. The biggest things, honestly, were like status. That's probably a good word. But again, worrying about other, you know, I lived in like a medium income neighborhood. And what are my neighbors going to think if I move into a $350,000 house in a nicer new neighborhood? And I build that, like, I was just so wrapped up 
And then also I was like, well, what if I move into that neighborhood and I don't want to be like the people in the neighborhood because they're haughty or whatever. <laughs> it's so dumb. Like, I, don't, I, don't, I know so many people in big, nice houses and they're just as great as the people that were in my medium sized neighborhood. Like, yeah. yeah. People are good everywhere and people are bad everywhere, but I was so wrapped up in just like all the what ifs and yeah, it was horrible. The story okay. that you're kind of telling me reminds me of Ed Milet. Have you heard of him? He's a no, big real estate guy. Um, I can't remember whose podcast he was on. I think it was Bigger Pockets podcast, but he was saying he struggled the same thing. He's he's really, really successful now. And um, he said he came from a background where they just didn't really have anything. They grew up poor. They didn't go on family vacations. They didn't do anything extravagant. And he said one of his biggest, um, hurdles when he got into real estate he's you know he'd meet these huge investors or people with a lot of money and his his first thought was what what thing have they done illegal to get all their money <laughs> and he says, heard that. <laughs> yeah and he says he still he still struggles with it even though he has a lot of money and he's a good person and and uh you know, he's like, I wouldn't consider myself someone that does, did anything illegal, but I still struggle with that today because that's that's how my dad spoke when we were growing up is, oh, I wonder what he's doing illegal. So I think <laughs> the barrier for a lot of people is how you're raised and how your family brings you up um, influences your life long after your childhood. And then how do you break those barriers to hit the next level? So that's exactly uh, it. It's, it's something I think we're all trying to figure out every day. And I think, I think honestly, a lot of people don't even recognize or acknowledge that they have those barriers. They just live within them. And so I yeah. think that's a, a big first step is like opening the conversation to yourself and just being like, what are my feelings about money? What are my feelings about success? How would I feel driving a really nice car down the road? Do I want to drive a really nice car down the road? Why not? You know, and then you start yeah. to realize like, what you're what, what you're thinking inside you know because you don't think about it every day you just live in your you live in your world yeah. yeah so I haven't I haven't shared this story yet on the podcast but me and Darren were just talking about it before um he got so Darren just had his second kid and I had my second kid about a year ago and I was in a really bad motorcycle accident I got hit by a car um 2019 September 2nd and was in a coma for three weeks and then had to rehab relearn how to walk everything basic and then and then you throw a kid into it uh during my rehab and it was just a crazy time in my life but I was listening to another podcast with Ryan Serhant he's on the million million dollar listings and he said stop waiting for something big to happen you know like Oh, if this happens, is that because sometimes it never happens. Luckily for me, it, I mean, it was a struggle for a year, but I think going through that is the doctor said, you know, you're either going to die. And if they told my wife, if he does make it, he's going to be a vegetable for the rest of his life. And so after making it through all that, it's like, <laughs> just go for it. Like, I, I'm not even <laughs> supposed to be alive. So I think I have a, a uh, new kind of fearlessness, but then there's also fears where, you know, I, I was fearless in um, maybe skateboarding or snowboarding and I would do crazy things. And now it's scary for me to just get on the roof to put up Christmas lights because if I fall and hit my head, I'm, you know, I could be really bad. But um, 
Yeah, I I think you have it dead on where it's like, don't care what people think, just go for it. Because a lot of the time people just settle for something and, and they're miserable. And then that, that uh, spreads to everyone around you. I, I, I've worked with plenty of people that are just so down and out and, and then it starts affecting you. So why not live up to your potential and affect yeah. people in the right way? Exactly. Yeah. I love it. So, um, you own, you have 10 doors now. Is that how many you own? Yeah. Yep. So, so do you manage those all on your own or have you, are you too busy and you have someone like a manager helping you? Um, yeah, I'm too busy and I manage him. <laughs> so I do. <laughs> You're um, a control freak. I, oh my gosh man <laughs> how could you tell <laughs> just a guess <laughs> yeah uh I think that comes from my carpentry background like I, I like doing the work but I just had a, yeah. a property vacant for five months and I was like I shouldn't be trying to rent this out somebody else should be renting this out for me and get it done you know what I mean it cost me five thousand mm-hmm. dollars which is so mm-hmm. stupid so yeah I rent mm-hmm. them out or sorry, okay. I uh, manage them both, you know, getting them rented, manage the tenants and the actual properties. Repairs and everything like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, yep. How much, I don't own any. So I'm curious, like how much time does one door take a month? Would you say, how much time do you put sure. in? Um, I would, I would assume and guess I never tracked my time, right. But 10 hours yeah. a year per unit is kind of like maybe a max thing and and really if you if if you have a difficulty finding tenants that's where most of your time is spent is finding a good tenant Mm -hmm. um i don't clean them myself you know i i send someone out to clean them in between tenants i i don't take care of the yards if they need a like an upgrade between tenants like i don't i don't do some of that but like you know i go over and fix a toilet or change out a light bulb or something like that. If I'm in the area and I don't have someone else who can run over for me. And so, yeah, I'd say about 10 hours a year would be realistic once they're all set up and going. Yeah. Okay. That's not too bad. Actually. I was kind of thinking it'd be more than that. No, no, it's really not too bad. Um, Honestly, it's kind of like groups, right? Like one year you'll spend like 10 hours or 20 hours in a week, just like getting one ready to rent. And then it's like, you don't even think about that property for two years. Something like that. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of like ebbs and flows. I spent yeah. probably 10 hours in the past month trying to find two tenants for two properties, but that's rare. Like it's it was right in the middle of winter. It was just a bad time to find tenants, but it yeah, it took a bunch of time. So okay. I think one of the biggest fears for me getting a rental, I know my <clears> in-laws <throat> have them and they're like, oh, don't do it because tenants will ruin your property. Have you had experiences like that? And how do you, how do you deal with it if you, if you have, because I really want to do rentals, but I think there's that, that part of me thinking, oh man, I don't want to have to deal with some crazy, crazy tenant. Sure. Probably goes back to real estate in general. Like there's so much information available now that just get educated and then follow the education. Don't, don't get educated and just do it your own way. Just listen to people who have already done it. So I, I've had two bad tenants that even come to mind. Like I've only had two evictions, two bad tenants. And one of those bad tenants was a great tenant for like two years. And then he just fell on hard times as life fell apart and then he became a bad tenant. So that was, Mm. for me, that was like a fluky deal. Whereas the other one, I put in a bad tenant. Like I put in a bad tenant. 
from so the get-go from, they were bad from yeah from the get-go i was just like why did i rent to them you know <laughs> i i actually knew the person from childhood when i went to sign the contract the husband smelled like smoke it was a non-smoking resident and i still signed the contract i'm like an idiot like why uh, did i rent to someone who <laughs> obviously smokes when it's a non-smoking resident and so yeah so, really it it comes down to just qualify i would say do it like do it and then the second thing i was going to say is experience right once you've had one bad tenant you now have a list of things that you'll never do again and then the next right. time you have a, that much better of a chance so i've had i've had tenants stay for up to 13 years and i've had tenants around 3 to 4 years and I would say 90% or 95% great tenants, not even good tenants, but like great tenants. So I would, uh, from studying it, I would imagine that has to do with your screening process. What do you think are the key questions or the key things that you want to know about a person before making them a tenant? Number one, I don't care about, this sounds so heartless, right? I don't care about anyone's stories. Like if they're telling me a story about why their life is where it is, I'm like, awesome. I don't want to be a character in your story. So just like move on. <laughs> People who have stories are full of excuse. People who have stories are full of excuses. Oh, my credit's low because my husband divorced me and then my kid ran off and my dog got run over by a car and da, 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 da. Or somebody who's like, oh yeah, I had all this happen. And now I'm like working on my credit. I'm like, that's awesome. Keep working on it and call me in two years when I have a place available and your credit's up. Someone who says, Hey, my credit's at 650. I brought it up from 550. They're like in the middle of their story. That's different, right? Because they're like on the they're on the climb. But somebody's yeah. who's just like down in the bottom of their story, that's the number one thing. And that has nothing to do with discrimination, right? That has nothing to do with race, uh, religion, sexual orientation, gender, family status. It has nothing to do with any of that. It's just if someone is making excuses for their life, I generally don't have a place for it. Um, and then second, and then second is just the the classic stuff, right? Like, it, does their income qualify to have the rental? Do they do they have good rent history? Does their credit show that they pay their debts? And you probably those top three things. And then there's individual ones like pets or smoking or things like that that might be per unit. But man, if you qualify those things, you'll you'll find good tenants. And don't and don't. Like I went five months because I couldn't find a good tenant, not because nobody, yeah. nobody wanted it is because I, I wanted a good tenant, you know, and now I have yeah. one in place. Yeah. I think that makes so, sense, especially if you say that's one of the most time consuming thing is finding a good tenant. But if you put the work in before, then you don't have to go find a tenant every year. Or two totally. years. They're there for a long time. So yeah. Or if they're sense. only there for a year, they leave the place ready to go. Yeah. And so it's it's yeah. not like a tenant who stays for a year, trash the place, you have to repaint, re-carpet. It's like they were there for a year, they left it like they found it, and you put a new tenant in. Yeah, my in-laws had a story. I think they have a house. They have houses all over, but in Ohio or something, and they said their tenant drove their car through the house. Oh, man. And yeah. totally destroyed. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's no. Nope. I, I yeah. only had one tenant <laughs> trash a place. And other than that, it was like pretty, pretty okay. Yeah. I've wondered if someone Jordan, Jordan just off, I was just going to add it on with you. Maybe some of their problems have with your in-laws have come because all of their rentals were out of state. It couldn't really be yeah. hands-on. Like, I don't know. Maybe that's I think they part did a lot of, of property think, management companies too, because I know they had problems with property management companies um, not finding them good tenants or 
I know they had good property management, but then I think they also had some that were bad. So do you, you don't have any property managers, do you, Adam? I don't, and not from experience, but I would say it's when you work with property managers, your property manager is now the one you're qualifying, right? Yeah, so yeah. instead of qualifying a tenant, you qualify a really good property management company. You test them out on one property. Now you're going to have a good experience with however many properties you have. Whereas if you start with a bad management company, like it's nothing but problems. <laughs> so tell us well, a little cool. bit how you got ready to take your family to, you so see, you went to Costa Rica for three months. That's, that's a big hiatus from work, wait, from wait, wait, everything. Wait. I, before we get into that, because we usually only do these for 30, 45 minutes. And I have a feeling we're probably going to go longer with that. <laughs> so I, I do want to get to the Costa Rica. But before that, in, in your email, you said you had the realization about the power of compact effect, or sorry, compound effect, sacrifice and appreciation. Um, maybe expand on what the compound effect is for listeners that don't know. And then I feel like Hopefully this will lead into the, the Costa Rica experience. Okay. Okay, cool. So there's a book called The Compound Effect. I've actually never read it. So I can't go talk to <laughs> I've that. heard of it. <laughs> I've heard of it as well. But but for me, what it was, and I think this is good for people who are just getting into real estate, real estate, uh, a re rental real estate, right? Like it's a little different if you're flipping houses or wholesaling, but uh, rental properties, there's no big paycheck for a very long time like generally speaking. And if there is a big paycheck, it's probably because you put a lot of money down on the house or you just found a really good deal, right? So for me, it's like, we were cash flowing on all of our properties always. And we always had money in the rental account, but there was never like money to spend. We know for years and years, it was just like, oh, we have, we have $10,000, we buy the next rental or, oh, we have $5,000, we have to replace the furnace and the, the AC. There was never just like cash flow coming in. And it wasn't until honestly about 10 years in that it was like, wow, we have $20,000 in the bank and we don't have a repair like knocking at the door. You know, we don't have a roof that's been mm. waiting to be repaired. We don't have a, you know, the a floor that needs to be torn out and redone. And it was like, wow, we're actually like starting to make money. But at that time we ended up just buying more rentals and we didn't, we didn't use the money for anything yeah. fun. But that, so the compound effect for me was the fact that like, we did what we knew we needed to do. And then the future comes no matter what. And the future provided exactly what we expected. But on the path, you, you're just like, you're either waiting, 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 or you're just not even thinking about it. And then suddenly it's like at your door and you're like, oh man, this is awesome. Yeah. That's yeah, really I think, cool. I, I, yeah. I think you guys have really good habits because I think so many people with 20, 20 grand, especially not having repairs or anything, they would go celebrate and buy a new car or something. And for you to just buy another rental, I think one, you probably built habits long before that, but it takes a lot of self-control to be able to do that and realize I'm looking way further down the road than, you know, buying a new car that it's going to feel like any other car eventually driving me to and from work or wherever I need to go. Yeah. Yeah. I'll plug a little thing in here. Sometimes we focus so much on our, weaknesses that we feel like we can't we can't one of my weaknesses comes from my dad growing up my dad was a super hard worker but he would work when he needed to work right so he was a carpenter he'd earn money and then as soon as we had the bills paid he would kind of like putter around the shop and just you know hang out with the fam or whatever and then more bills came he'd go out and work and bring more money in 
So he, he provided well for the family, but I found this out from my mom later that she's like, yeah, he worked when he needed to work, but he probably could have worked more. So for, for me, it was almost like a protection. Like, cause if I have same thing, if I have money, I tend to not really want to work because I've got $20,000 in the bank. So instead of, like I mentioned with that uh, tax return, I just spent the money. Then I knew I had to work because I didn't have the money anymore. So anytime I had a large chunk of cash, I would just buy an investment or put it into an investment so that I would be forced to keep working. So my weakness kind of like became a strength, you know, keeps you keeps you hungry. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. Totally. So do you almost try to make it like you almost have the mindset that you don't you convince yourself that you don't have any money? And that's what where you put yourself in a situation that you don't. So then you're like, oh, I got to keep working. Is that kind of the idea yeah. behind it? Yeah. Yeah. Over <laughs> time, I would like to think that I've gotten better at just working because I know what it takes. But definitely, I feel like that was my subconscious strategy moving along because I wasn't comfortable with a bunch of money in the bank because it, it, it made me too comfortable and I wanted yeah. to be hustling. So you're right. Yeah, that's really good. I, I can it, relate to you a little bit on that. Not to like. I'm not, not, not to like talk about myself, but like I do that. So I'm an agent and my coworkers, they always laugh at me. So I'll get a client, I'll like get them under contract. And then I always tell when they talk to me and they say, Hey, how's work going? I'm like, dude, like I need to, I need to find some new people to work with. And they, and they're always like, well, you have somebody under contract. What are you talking about? But in my mind, I basically kind of convince myself that I don't have anybody and it makes me want to go out and work because I can fall into that same pitfall of if I have some money, it's, I mean, who doesn't like to relax and hang out with your family and have fun? Totally. You know, yeah. that's, that's fun. And so if you're able to do that and you're self-employed and you can step away, that's great. And so I don't, it's not a, it's weird. I just, it's just kind of how my mind works. It's not something I do intentionally. It's just, so I guess it helps me in a way to, to yeah, keep going absolutely. as well. To keep the top of the funnel full, right? If you have someone yeah. in the middle, that's great, but you want to keep the whole thing full. Mm-hmm. I think it also helps helps you each day to feel satisfied because there's times that you can get in a rut, like, man, I should have worked harder. And then it slowly starts into this habit where it just keeps happening. And then you have to dig yourself out and, and you have to get so much energy to get your back yourself back to where you already were where if you just keep the momentum going, it's so much easier in my opinion. And, and you're yeah. so much happier when you go home and you're motivated to do other things and help with the kids and help cook and help do dishes and, and everything. So I think, I think it's yeah, a great it. mindset to have, especially, you know, how you were saying, Darren, because it overflows into so many different parts of your life that you don't realize until you're down and depressed. You're like, man, I got to change my thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yep. So Adam, what in your email, you said you realized your goal of a million dollar net worth in 2020. So what do you do and how I think you said in there, like um, it hasn't changed your mindset. So you reached your goal. A lot of people would think like, Hey, I'm at like the top of my mountain or whatever. So what <laughs> has kept you going or what's next for you? Um. Well, I think the first thing that I realized, like when you're young, like 21, I was like millionaire by 30, you know, and I, I pictured it honestly, like a, like a briefcase full of cash or something. Like <laughs> I thought I would literally have just like a million $1 bills and I would just be like giving them out, you know, and as you grow, you realize that like net worth and assets are a lot different than cash. 
So I said that it didn't change anything because I was like doing my spreadsheets, you know, I'm like, I'm a millionaire. I was like, Lisa, I'm a millionaire. Called all the kids or the older kids. I didn't tell my younger kids. I'm like, hey, this is top seeker, but we're, we're millionaires. Like, this is so exciting. And then the next day I just went to work. Like nothing changed. <laughs> like I, I, I didn't get a new car. I like nothing changed. It was just like, oh, okay, cool. Same old, like go back to work, flip a house, finish the remodel, whatever it is. But, but it also did change something in my head. It was like, it worked like real estate worked, you know, I, mm. I didn't really work for that money. And I was calculating, right. A million dollars over 10 years, a hundred thousand. I could have never saved a hundred thousand dollars a year. It was a little more, a few more years than that closer to 15, but like, I could have never saved that much money. It's impossible. Yeah. Like I, mm. I, I've never even been a high, high income earner. I was, I've been earning 40 to I'd say $90,000 a year, like my whole life. So this is not me making a bunch of money and socking away $100,000 a year. This is real estate increasing in value, tenants paying down principal, um, widening the real estate spread, right? Instead of having one property, you take the cash out and put it into two. So now your, your assets are going up. So it's just a realization to me that it works, but I still have to work. I still have to just go out and get it done. Dude, that's really interesting. Well, I always think I would have guessed that you have been making tons of money, you know? Um, so that's really crazy to hear you say, like I, you know, a lot of the years you're making 40 to $90,000 a year for some reason in my mind, I think that to do that, to do what you've done is you've got to be making 200 plus and you just have tons of extra cash and you're just buying houses. But, um, wow. Yeah. That yeah, really, last, uh, that was good for me to hear. Last, last year might be, and I, I don't know for sure. It might be the first year I break a hundred thousand. Like in my life, even when my wife and I were both working. Wow. That's crazy. So what That's could cool. people do now with, okay, so you bought, um, you know, you bought some houses, You, I think before, I don't know if we were recording or not, you were telling us that your first house or second was, you were bidding between, deciding between one that was 145 and 148. Well, yeah. we all know that houses are not that much <laughs> now. You know, you were talking yeah. about building a big, nice house for $350,000. Oh I and, wish I would have. Uh, We're 700 now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, $350,000 is, you're not going to build a big, nice house for that. No. So like, what can people do in to, if they want to follow your path, what can they kind of do? Because, uh, you know, it's no secret houses have appreciated a lot in Utah. Sure. Um, so I'll give two examples. I bought a duplex last year for 315, which was a really good deal, but that's a retail, deal. it might have been like 330 or something, 350 maybe. Buy that house, buy that duplex and live in one half. You've heard this house hacking, right? It's all over the yeah. place. We, we yeah. never had yeah. the opportunity or took the opportunity to do it. But one half of that house makes a thousand ninety five. And I think the mortgage is 12. So now you, you only have a mortgage of like 200 bucks. You 200 know what I mean? Bucks. So that's a great place to start. I also saw another property that was a single family home, but it was actually zoned in multifamily. So you can rent out the basement, same situation. And, you know, not to get into like breaking city codes and stuff, but lots of people are renting out their basements, whether or not yeah. it's a duplex situation or renting out a bedroom or two. I have an uncle who rents out like a very small space in his house and he cash flows like a thousand plus a month, just renting out like. Airbnb being like a bedroom and a bathroom type thing. 
So I think there's a lot of opportunities nowadays. People are like, oh, the market's so high. And I'm like, you know, the rates are like 2%, right? So do the math on do the math on a four hundred thousand dollar mortgage at two percent versus like a two hundred or three let's say a three hundred fifty thousand dollar house at four percent like it's a world of difference. So don't yeah. don't stress about the price. Look at the value. Okay. So what do you kind of do to find a good property like that? That was one of the things we wanted to ask you. Is what do you is there a formula you do to find a property that's going to be a good fit, or what do you kind of look at for when you're going to per- make a purchase? So first of all, is how to find them. The best deals I found are always just from talking to people and people knowing what I do. The, the top deals I've done were referrals, friends, neighbors telling me about someone or me seeing a property that I thought looked like a good property and just like approaching the person about it and just like saying, hey, can I buy this property? Usually a rental or something like that. Um, and then how to see if it's a good deal. There's a lot of rules out there, the 1% rule to see if, you know, the, like if the rent's a thousand dollars, the home should be a hundred thousand. That's never going to happen in Utah. <laughs> the very <Yeah>. best deal, <laughs> the very best deals I've gotten are like, you know, 0.66 if I'm lucky, 0.66%. Um, and so really what I look at is just simple. I'm like, okay, if I put 20% <clears> down, is this going to cash flow like 300,000 or sorry, 3,000. Wow. If I put, 20% down, will it cash flow about 300 bucks gross? Okay. Now that might be a little bit loose because I have some other cash flow from my other rentals. But generally speaking, I find if it cash flows 300 bucks, it usually can maintain itself after I okay. stockpile, you know, maybe $5,000 into a, you know, safety account. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of simplified, but there's a, obviously you can dig way into it. Yeah. yeah so you'll yeah. put $5,000 about, aside for a property in case of repairs, you know, roof or plumbing, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I I even, yeah, I think I have about $5,000 per property set aside. I think that's a really safe amount. I mean, I've gone years with just a couple thousand bucks and maybe even having two rentals. You just want to make sure your, your overall financial situation isn't going to put you at risk. Right. Right. People say, well, what if every, what if every unit is vacant and like, probably not going to happen. So I I think (laughs) three months right now. Yeah. Three months rent is probably like a good base. So a few thousand dollars. And then as a max, maybe six months rent. Um, Again, if you have decent tenants, you generally don't run a run across a ton of big, big problems. Yeah. Okay. That's great. That was great. That was some great insight. Thanks for that. Yeah, Adam, I have a feeling that we're going to have to have you on another episode because we're not going to get to all of our questions, but um, we should probably start wrapping it up. So tell us your story about Costa Rica. What was it like if we were to go to Costa Rica? Where should we stay? What should we eat? I mean, give us the whole experience. (laughs) And I apologize, we're probably over time, but I'm going to tell you how it happened. So I I bought a house right down the street from my house to flip. And I was working like 40 hours a week on my job and then 20 hours a week on this horrible, I hate it flip, or it was, a, it was a, going to be a rental. And we were falling apart, man. My wife was hating life. She was like, this is so stupid. Like we're supposed to be enjoying life. We have this funny joke in our house that all I ever think about is the future, you know, this elusive future. <laughs> and, and it's just kind of a joke because I, my, my dad didn't have like a really established retirement and my father-in-law has a really great retirement. So I'm like, so paranoid. I'm like, I want to have an amazing retirement. So I've always been like stockpiling. 
and we kind of broke. We were just like, we've been working so hard for 10 years. Like we have got to do something. And we had just decided not to buy that big, nice house, but we knew we had like flexibility financially to do something. So we were like, we should like move away for a year and go travel the world, you know? And it basically got toned down, toned down. This is the quick version to a three month vacation. It didn't even turn into like uh, an immersion experience. It was just a three month vacation to Costa Rica, kind of like to reward ourselves and say, you know what? The sacrifice got us this. So I was planning, I saved up a bunch of money. It to- was a total train wreck financially, actually, <laughs> but we still did it. <laughs> like, anyway, so that, that's another story. But we, we went to Costa Rica. It was wonderful for our family. It was super uniting. Our kids, were, we had five kids at the time. The oldest was 12. The youngest would have been two. And it was just so uniting for the kids to just be together 24-7. We were at the beach every single day. We did homeschooling from there. So the kids were just doing their lessons on the beach and then the hammocks and like, it, Dude, it was that dreamy. is awesome. It was, it was so yeah. dreamy and, and what it did for my life. So I could go on and on about the vacation, but that was such a hinge point for me because I was like, number one, this is what I actually want. I don't want a big house. I want to travel. So we're planning our next trip for the end of this year. And everything I've done in the last three years since Costa Rica has all been to get to the next trip. And so it, it just totally changed my mind shift as what do I want and what am, I, what am I willing to sacrifice to get it? And that's that's kind of the path we've gone down. The other thing it did is it it, it was kind of funny. It made a couple of people, I think, think that I was rich when I really wasn't. And so I actually, <laughs> I actually, I was able to partnership and build some relationships that I don't think I would have had the opportunity to have had people known where I was really at financially. So that was kind of like a funny side thing from it. But it was a total... <laughs> a total game changer for me as to what rentals could do for your life long-term. Wow. Dude, that is awesome. That's really cool. That's like a dream of, I would love to go do something like that. Yeah. Amazing. Put on paper. I I did a little something different. I, I, I went to Hawaii for three months, but that's a story for another, another podcast. I'll be, I'll Um, be listening for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, basically why we started this podcast is to do three things, um, educate people, inspire people, and probably most important is connect people, make connections. Uh, I think we've done all three fantastically. I think we've been educated on how to, how to get a rental property. Um, just your entire story of how to basically look ahead into the future that's probably what I'll name the podcast, look into the future. And, uh, and then you inspire us. Uh, we're, we're younger as well. And so your story of just being able to buy a house at 22, then buy a rental and just slowly build that up to the point where you're at and then take a three month vacation with your family. I mean, I can't imagine anyone being upset about getting to that point in their life where they can take their family on a three month vacation and just forget the world for three months. So um, really, really cool. And then I hope that we can connect you with other people as well as us connect with other people. Uh, I hope that this is a, the start of a really great relationship. Um, I think you have a lot of experience and um, knowledge that we can, we can grab from. And I don't even, I think you reached out to me about being on the podcast. I can't even remember. Do you remember Adam? 
Yeah. Yeah. I just saw your thing pop up on Facebook. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. I love, I love talking real estate. So let's talk it right here. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's fun. And, and, and the pod, I mean, me and Darren love listening to podcasts and then talking about them. So I think we've always wanted to, I actually used to have a Utah jazz podcast and, it, and then uh, all my partners kind of fizzled out, but anyways, um, it's always a good time. It's always super fun to meet people and blocking out like an hour of your day just to be able to to connect and have a, a real conversation. I think people get so busy that it's hard to have these conversations because you feel like, oh, they're probably, you, they need to be somewhere or they've got work to do. And uh, it, it's just really enjoyable for us. So we appreciate having you on. We hope that we can probably do another one with you and do a little update. Um, if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you, where is the best place to to grab you? Um, probably Facebook. I've I've been on Facebook a lot more with uh co- you know connecting with other investors, and so Adam Stevens. I don't know if there's like a little thing or whatever. But Adam Stevens. I'm also on Instagram, not quite as much, but I'm sure that'll be more and more as people get on it and connect. And then you're welcome to email me as well. Um, it's helpful homebuyers, Utah at gmail.com. Okay, perfect. And if you Great. struggle with any of that, reach out to me and Darren yeah. to get you in touch with Adam. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we appreciate it. Another great podcast in the books. If you need to get in touch with me and Darren, we are at Wasatch Bros, at Wasatch Wheeler, and at Wasatch Wheelcox on Instagram, Facebook, wherever you need us. Um, and if you really want to be on the podcast, you can email us at wasatchbros at gmail.com. Um, we're booked out for quite a while, but uh, we'll get you on the schedule. So, Adam, thanks again, and we'll keep in touch and talk to you soon. Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Adam. We'll see you. Have a yeah, good one. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.